Born and raised in Texas, Letitia Ochoa Adams is quite at home in the Wild West. And it's a good thing, too, because for the past decade, Letitia has found herself in the Wild West of Catholic social media, where the environment is harsh and the rules are few. Letitia is a straight shooter, unabashedly posting not only about contentious moral issues in modern culture, but also grief and trauma. She lost her own son, Anthony, to suicide in 2017. Her frankness and fearlessness in describing the messiness of her own life journey have attracted over 7,000 followers on Instagram, making Letitia a significant influencer in the Catholic online world. But whereas once the label of influencer would have made her cringe, Letitia Ochoa Adams now owns it and is working hard to develop the pastoral skill, virtue, and knowledge needed to exercise this role responsibly. As will become clear when you listen to our interview, Letitia resists any attempt to separate the word influence from that word responsibility, seeing the two as going hand in hand. She takes as her model the 14th century influencer Catherine of Siena, another outspoken laywoman in the church who drew quite a diverse group of followers. At the end of 2022, Letitia released her first book about her faith journey, Our Lady of Hot Messes. If you were to name right now, how do you name what it is that you do? Like, how would you describe what you do? I would love to say that I'm just a writer, right? And I think when you say like, I'm not an influencer because we don't want the responsibility of what that means, but you can call it whatever you want, but that's what you're doing. You're influencing people in something, or you would be a regular person on Instagram that's just posting pictures of your food and dogs. I'm writing these paragraphs of my story of my life, and you're trying to do something with that, you know, which is influence. I think that people think when you say influencer, you're talking Kim Kardashian. But the thing is, is that we can all do the thing that makes Bill ick about Kim Kardashian. And I see Catholics do it all the time. And then they'll be like, oh, the Kardashians. It's like, you're doing the same thing just on a smaller scale and you're not becoming a billionaire, which is really sad. And I would say sometimes you're damning yourself to help, but that's okay. Like we can all turn around, (laughs) turn the ship around. So would you say that it sounds like your mission has changed? Like why you think you're online has changed over time? Yeah. And how would you describe that? Yeah, so it, it is influencing. It's influencing through storytelling. It's evangelizing through storytelling. That's what stories are, though. Stories aren't just empty words. Stories are influencing in nature. It's a new evangelization, which cracks me up because, like, I see all these, like, conferences on the new evangelization, and no one's talking about this. But, like, I read um, the book on St. Catherine of Siena, and uh, the description of her followers and how they followed her anywhere she went and how they were all just different people and some would leave and go do whatever and then come back and say, I'm going to come back into the church and they would follow like, her disciples, quote unquote. That's what it's like to have Instagram followers. It's the modern day equivalent of having disciples, but we're not being formed in our faith and our theology and our leadership skills and our conflict resolution skills like we're just falling into it so like I have 7,000 Instagram followers right so it's like anything I put on Instagram could potentially influence up to 7,000 people so if I get on Instagram and I'm like 
I hate people who follow me on Instagram. That's like 7,000 people who are impacted by a Catholic saying something like that, you know? But who's thinking about that? No one. I know so many people who have these huge followings and they just are not thinking about it. They're thinking about selling books, selling articles, making money writing. And it's like, it's not just writing anymore. You really are kind of like a pastor to the people in some ways, at least you're a doorway. Yes, you are. You are. You're a shepherd of and a pastor, which is what a pastor is, right? How would you describe the difference between influencing and power or are they synonymous in the way that you're using them? I think they're synonymous. Like, I think that when they say I am not an influencer or I don't want to be an influencer or I hate the word influencing, what they're really, what's really underneath that, whether they know it or not, is they don't want the power because they don't want the responsibility that comes with that power. But there is no way to divorce yourself from it. Once you have reached a certain level of people knowing you or people reading you or people following you, you have power. Is it the same amount of power as Donald Trump? Probably not, but it's the same vibe. It's the same thing. It's the same energy. The levels can be different, but it is the same. You can manipulate things in that same way, that same power tool of influence. The level of it is different. Was there a moment in your life when you kind of woke up to that? Like, was there something that happened that all of a sudden was like, oh, I have way more power than I thought that I had, or that I myself myself was having? Well, there's several, several. um, But the first was the first time I had a falling out with a public Catholic, like another public Catholic. And that person influenced people to not follow me or to whatever. And I realized how much power this person had and, um, and the issues that I had with this person that I could see clearly was a twisting of what could be a good thing. So that was my first experience on this side of it. And then when my son died by suicide, like everyone, the amount of people who knew about that just from the circles I was in or the people who followed me, like how fast that news spread. It's like dropping a pebble in a pond, like the ripples go out so fast. Um, and then the third one was when something happened where a lot of my followers saw, and then they just jumped in to defend me. And I had to be like, okay, this is not the way they're being mean to someone. And it's like, this is not the way to do that. And so then I had to like really shift the way I talk. I really went from trying to influence people to consume my content to influencing people to become aware of how they're consuming content. Does it make you nervous when you hear people talk about you being a a person with power or influencer? Like, how does that reconcile with your own identity? Uh, It used to make me want to vomit. Mm-hmm. Every time I heard it, but that has so much to do with like my childhood trauma of like, just be invisible, like down, don't speak until you're spoken to, blah, blah, blah. Also, because we live in a country where power isn't about serving your community. It's about exploiting your community so that you can live a comfortable life, right? So that would, that always bothered me because I just assumed that was the only way to have quote unquote power. Um, and now if someone were to say that to me, I take responsibility for that. Like it's a responsibility. Jesus, he was the best example. He had power. He had power over lots of people. I mean, 
he went viral for the first time ever, I think, when he went to Miracles and people would come from everywhere to follow him. You know, that's a that's a form of going viral, I I feel like. And I mean, he never used it to gain anything. He always used it to serve others and to make them wonder what is my purpose. Yeah, I read one time about Jesus as a miracle worker about one of the things that made him so distinctive was that there were actually other miracle workers or healers that were kind of in the vicinity. But the one thing that keeps getting recorded with Jesus is that he actually never seems to have charged anybody for it. It wasn't a moneymaker thing for him. It really was an act of service on behalf of the purpose of the kingdom of God. And what's crazy is people don't realize that Judas, his betrayal began when he was angry about that. When he was like, you should be charging, you should be making money. Like, where's the money? Like Judas was just so focused on this. And then Jesus giving money to people. And he was like, what the hell? Like we should be making money. And that's where the betrayal started. It ended with his suicide, but it began when he was angry that Jesus didn't care about making money. And I have found that over and over and over again, that when people realize that I am not doing any of this to make money, it irritates the ever living crap out of them. It's an unexplainable irritation. As you've had to think through the link between power and responsibility in your own life, you mentioned already the saints, you mentioned Jesus. Like, are there, are there stories of saints in particular that have been especially important to you in learning about responsibility and power or other episodes from the Bible that you think that you draw on a lot in your own kind of your own spiritual formation for this work? For me, it's a lot of St. Catherine of Siena and Mother Teresa. Like Mother Teresa is another great one. I mean, Mother Teresa timed out a war so that she could go get some kids out of an orphanage and then was like, yeah, go back to killing yourself. Like, I don't really care. That's power, right? But she never used it for herself. You could look at pictures of her feet because she wore used shoes. That's crazy. How did you fall in love? You mentioned Catherine of Siena earlier too. How did you fall in love with her in the first place? Like, where'd you meet her? It was just I wanted to not like her. And then I read the book, the most popular one about St. Catherine of Siena. And I didn't want to like her because I just thought like, this lady's crazy, you know, like sleeping on a hard bed. Like God doesn't ask you all those things. You're insane. And I was like, oh, insane. That's the the first clear sign that you probably listening to God. She just seemed very extra and over the top. But then I started reading about how she treated the people who followed her. And my favorite story of hers was that some guy brought a possessed girl into her house and she kept trying to escape out the back door. <laughs> and they were oh, like, no, Catherine. Catherine. Oh. And so Catherine kept trying to escape out the back door and they were like, no, this little girl needs your help. And she was like, I have plenty of demons of my own. I don't need any more. <laughs> I was just like, that is some honest, that's honest feedback. And I was like, okay. So then I just kept reading and she had one follower who from the way it seems like to me, he would come back to God and then he would leave and go like sleep with hookers and do all this and that. And then he'd come back to her and she just accepted him every time. Like I always assumed like you see the quotes of St. Catherine of Siena. And I just assumed that she wouldn't accept someone like that in her fold that she'd be like, yep. She had frequent visits from Jesus, like visions of him. And he was sitting at the foot of her bed and she was like, can you go away? I'm trying to sleep. It seems to me like there's a couple different kinds of ways of power that you exercise. One is the power that you have a lot of followers, but underneath that, like, why do you have all of the followers? I mean, part of it is the technology exists and you jumped into the right moment, but part of it also is 
radical honesty in itself is a form of power for you. Yeah, and it's a form of power when you have so many people in the world who are thirsting for that, right? Then someone tells someone and someone tells someone, like, you just got to follow this lady. Like, her son died by suicide and she's Catholic, but he's X, Y, and Z and, you know, da-da-da-da-da and authentic and honest. So all those words pop up every time people tell me like, I started following you because my cousin said, you know, you're an authentic person or you're honest or whatever. So then I have to hold myself accountable for that because these are people who haven't seen that in anywhere else in their life. And the second you lied to them, then what are the chances of them giving anyone else a chance? Would you say that right now, the main congregation, if you will, that you're serving are people who've also been through tremendous loss because of suicide? Like you're meeting a real need in people's lives. Um, You're also probably interacting with a group of people who've been through a particular amount of pain. Yeah. And that to me would, well, it escalates the degree of responsibility. Like, it's just like, wow, because I can say something that really could be hurtful or helpful to wounded people. But also it's like, yeah, it's radical honesty around something that there's not a lot of radical honesty about. Yeah. And who live in a world without very many examples of it either. Because we've created this culture of um, public-facing personas. You know, like your public-facing persona needs to be X, Y, and Z. Even if your private-facing persona is blah, blah, blah. Knowing that you're so radically honest and you use that as a power in your life to reach other people at very deep levels. How do you, for yourself, draw healthy boundaries and especially around like marriage, your own marriage and family, like how much of their lives end up getting come out there? Like at what point in time do you be, where, where is there any place where you draw lines and keep things for yourself? Yeah, I have, I have no right to tell anyone else's story and people can assume whatever they want to assume. Like I am a devout Catholic and I have an LBGTQ child and that relationship is very rocky and the coming out was rocky and I made a lot of mistakes, but I'm never going to use that as a story because that child's story isn't mine to tell mm-hmm. and telling mine would include telling a lot of theirs. And so I just don't. And even if it comes back to like, well, you don't say anything about LGBTQ rights. It was like, yeah, I don't because it would include someone else's story that I don't have the right to tell. And if I do talk about something like So my 23-year-old has suffered with OCD and um, depression since he was like 14, probably longer than that. But since he was 14, we started talking about it. So if I'm going to write something about Dan, I will tell Dan, like, this is what I was thinking. This is blah, blah, blah. And and then he gives me permission or, and I, and I've known him, we've been through this long enough to know that he, he doesn't mind, you know? So that's just it. Like, I don't have the right to tell anyone else's story. And if I'm going to tell my part of what we've gone through, then I always make sure that person knows. And I don't write anything that I didn't already tell them. You don't say anything about someone if you haven't already told them. So it sounds like doing internal work for you is an important part of making sure that you stay healthy publicly as well. Yes. What kind of work do you hold yourself accountable to doing interiorly? Because that's kind of what I'm interested in. It's like the spirituality. Like what are spiritual practices that people in power engage to make sure that they're they're exercising their power well. I know this sounds so lame, but I hold myself accountable to the gospel. Like really the Beatitudes, the Ten Commandments. Am I envious? Am I? It's like an examination of conscience for public. 
Catholic life, I guess, or something like influencer life, where it's like, am I using anyone? Am I, am I allowing anyone to use me? What is my intention behind what I'm posting on Instagram? And is that intention in line with the gospel? And if I have to, I will make an appointment with my therapist and we'll process stuff. And I spent a lot of my time in therapy processing what does it mean to be an influence on others? Because we can say that we don't want to be influencers, but then what the hell are you doing writing books? Like, of course, you want people to read your books and take something from that. That's my big soapbox right now. <laughs> right. Well, it reminds me, I don't know if you saw Carolyn Wu. I don't know if you've heard of her at all before, but she was she was a woman who led Catholic Relief Services for a number of years. And she just has a new book out called Rising on Women in Leadership. And one of the things which she says in there, she interviews like 20 different women who are in leadership positions. One of the things she says in there is that I think for women, especially it's not so much, the danger isn't so much that they abuse power is that they don't actually acknowledge the power that they do have. They don't do what they could do if they wanted to. Yes. Okay. And that's the thing about St. Catherine of Siena. She knew she had it and she used it for what God asked her to do. And I think that that is the only way to do it. You cannot figure out how to use this power you have on your own. You have to be plugged in to a relationship with God. Or when he tells you, tell everyone you're talking to a burning bush, you do it, even though you know everyone's going to look at you like you're insane. I don't think people really realize like God can use anything, but what he's going to use the most is what he's asked you to do because he's asked you to do it because he already knows the impact it's going to have and how it will open the door to people letting him in.